Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Oh, March 14th, 2019, Thursday. Thanks for joining us on the Mike Abadir Show. You are listening live at voiceamerica.com. Lots happening in the sports world right now. We're going to really dive into all of the NFL free agency movement and trades and signings. There is a ton going on right now in that world, Mike. And we have Greg joining us in maybe five minutes, so we'll save our NFL thoughts for that. But before we jump into that, wanted to ask some of your thoughts on an announcement that came through today in the horse racing world at Santa Anita. Uh, unfortunately, this morning, there was another horse that suffered a catastrophic injury. That is number 22. There have been 22 horses that have um, passed away between December 26th and now uh, the racetrack at Santa Anita has been an issue. The weather has been an issue here. They made a decision today, which was... I mean, I'll give my thoughts on it in a minute, but overall, they they made the decision to change and really outlaw race day medications at Santa Anita and at Golden Gate, hoping that that might affect, um, you know, the uh, the general well-being of the horses moving forward. What have you seen about this and what are some of your uh, your thoughts on it? I mean, first of all, I think that there's a lot of opinions out, that are out there and I think a lot of them are ill-informed, you know, lacking the actual information. None of us are really there we're just kind of hearing things on the outside. And to me, that's a little bit dangerous. I'd like to hear what the conclusions are of that's the, the yeah. testing and what they're going to well, find out. What have out. they done? What yeah, they what they've done the is stuff. Give me a list of what did exactly. you do to the track. That's, that's what I want to hear. Shut it down for a couple of weeks, a month, however long, and say, okay, this is what we did. We came in. We dug everything up. Yeah, and, and, here's, and, here's why we, and here's why we did it. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. right now, I still don't know. To me, this announcement almost is like – is almost like shifting the blame to look it has 100%. nothing to do with the surface. Hundred percent. It's completely medication. And I don't maybe, think they're related. Maybe that is, you know. I don't I, know. Maybe I it is all medication. I really don't. You know. But I, I want to hear how they've determined that. Yes, and and I I this is not good. Um, okay, let, let's say this: the the general like idea of banning the race day medication, I don't think is bad. That's actually good moving forward that's what they do like in europe and and, uh, and asia right but if this happens everywhere the problem is that's this is not the solution to the current problem right now at santa anita this is like oh hey we're gonna do this so maybe we'll get some good pub for that and people will forget about what's actually happening so there's nothing really that's been decided they have a meeting on march the 21st the chrb meeting where they're gonna make more decisions moving forward i mean the way they handle this today mike it was like a it was like clown show i mean i gotta be honest there was a, there was a, uh, they had a press conference and I was watching the live stream on CBS and they had been talking about how it was going to be anytime around noon. They end up showing there up there at one twenty. Uh, Tim Ritvo, the, um, the head of Santa Anita now ends up coming up and saying, talking for 30 seconds, basically just saying, we're going to ban medication, pointing to a statement and that's it. No questions. We're not answering anything. And we left and you could hear the reporters that showed up. When the microphones were still on, like on the on the stream, they were like, are you effing kidding me? We showed up here for that? Like that is all that is happening right now? It, it, it's just 
Yeah, so you could it, have sent out a press release and called it a day and not br- I mean, brought everybody over. No, it was. I mean, in my opinion, I, I just, I, I like you said, I don't know what's happening all the time on the inside at Santa Anita. But if in any organization, if in, and I'm not even talking about sports. If you're talking about any like publicly traded company, any like conglomerate, anything, any big company, small, big, anything. If there are if there are major issues, somebody, somebody has to die on the sword. You know, like usually somebody takes the blame and you bring a new person in at least towards the top to make it seem like there was some sort of change. I mean, we see it in sports all the time. Coaches get fired when it's not their fault. GMs get fired when it's not their fault, whether it's an injury or something else. But somebody's got to go sometimes. And that's what I think needs to happen and needed to happen. And just like you said, they shifted the blame completely and said, "Okay, it's this race day medication. No, it's not. It's you're running the race. You're running too many races in an area where there are not enough horses. Uh, you know, Jay Priffin said it on the radio the other day. None of the people in charge are, are California people. That doesn't really matter. Sometimes it's good to have people from the outside. But when you don't really know what the like the racing culture has been like here forever, you need someone who has their finger on that pulse. And everything that has been happening has been handled terribly. Yeah, and. You know, I, I know that they threw out, you know, um, a list of bullet points, you know, in terms of out of competition testing and positive. Sure, transparency of veterinarian records. It still does not address. Is there something wrong with the surface itself? Let's so, start with there. And if there is, like you said, maybe somebody has to fall onto the sword. Maybe it's track superintendent, whoever it may be. I want to hear a yay or nay. If it's a yes, here's what we didn't anticipate with the weather. A drainage system, whatever the case may be. If it's a no, how did you determine a no? Then move on to the medications and, and and show us. Absolutely. The, and in terms of even what, with what you're talking about, in terms of the number of races and so on and so forth, I at least want to hear com- comparisons. Sure. You know, how do give, we know it's, it's stats, too many? Facts. You know, if they're something. racing 14 times a year, is that is that too many? Well, it sounds like light compared to what it was before. So maybe the too many races is not an issue. Uh, I don't know. Either way, well, I, I need data people, in order like to heard, be able to determine that. Yeah, and there's so many little things too. Like Shelby Ruiz came out a while ago and was saying like she got pressured for scratching a horse in wet weather. You know, oh, and yeah. like a lot of these lower like these barns. Oh that yeah, they shut her up, and numbers. she even like I think deleted some, yeah. some social media like posts and a, stuff like that. And a lot of these smaller barns, they just get they're getting bullied to run, or to run horses. Hey, you have you, where, you have horses in the stalls. They're not running. You got to run. And then there's another. And like, I get it by the way because we're the ones that see, we as and the horse the, players put the pressure on them f- for big fields, right? So there's yeah. this tug war on both sides. I, I totally get that. And I, I want to read some like good tweets from people that we know and like some of the, some people that we speak to sometimes like Doug Salvatore, really good uh, follow on Twitter. He said regarding the fatal breakdowns at Santa Anita, 16 of them happened over the main track, five over the turf course. Uh, this was on March the 10th. So of the 16 horses who broke down on the main track, they made a combined total of just 49 starts in 2018. In other words, those horses averaged only three starts in 2018. So, you know, it's a small sample size, but you're taking a, a, a group of horses that weren't really fit horses that were kind of being forced to run. Uh, Philly, who broke down today, had just two career starts, the layoff line after her debut. The profile of horses breaking down on the main track, generally they're lightly raced horses with layoff lines. You know, 
that that's like that's a fact. I want to see things like that. Emily Optics Emily was also scratched prior to her debut. You know, and our buddy Scott Shapiro of all the absurd parts of the Strana Group announcement. Why are the changes being made at Santa Anita and Golden Gate and not the other Strana Group tracks? Right. If this is such a big deal, why isn't this happening at Laurel and at Gulfstream and at the other Strana Group tracks? Good point. You know, these are all great points from like really sharp people. Jonathan Hardoon. I can't imagine many horses will want to ship to California to run without Lasix. The real question is how many barns will be shipping out of California because of the new rules. Get used to five horse fields in the near future. Awful situation for the future of California racing. You know, another one, Dave Guttenfriend, who's like a big contest player. It's hard to have a shred of belief in anything. Santa Anita stated in the press release, second press gathering when Gulfstream and Laurel aren't part of an announcement. Quite a contradiction if they use medication in Florida and Maryland. You know, our buddy Craig, why would you run a horse there, any valuable horse? Would you, Mike? You're 20, 30, 50,000, 100,000, 500,000 million dollar horse. Are you going to run him at Santa Anita right now and train him in the mornings whether or not this LASIK stuff? They haven't given us any good reason to do so. I mean, none whatsoever. And, you know, I think when everybody's talking about the other, you know, family of, of tracks that are involved, Portland Meadows and Laurel and Gulfstream and so on and so forth, I think it kind of gives rise to the bigger issue, Gino, which is uniformity across the board. Yep. Having a centralized, you know, commissioner's office, so to speak. And I understand that the states have the regulatory authority, but at some point in time, they have to kind of, you know, sit down and let cooler heads prevail and say, you know what, for the greater good of the game, everybody's going to have to sacrifice on some of their power and authority and delegate it out to a centralized body that can promulgate some of these, the legislation and and rules and stewardship and all these other issues that have really hurt the game for a long time. It's kind of now or never. Yeah. I kind of equate this to, you know, the steroid scandal in baseball in the mid-2005, 2006 time period. You know, we've let it go on for long enough, but now is time to clean this up. And baseball did a tremendous job doing so. In fact, they probably have the best testing in all of the professional big four in America for, for steroids and performance-enhancing drugs. So we, we see that it can be done. And baseball is kind of like horse racing where it's old school. You have this mentality that is very averse to change, but they did it. I think horse racing needs to kind of look at that model and say, you know what? We have to, if we're going to be able to survive and get back into the living room of, of the American vernacular. Yeah, and we could touch, we could revisit this topic in a little bit. But uh, you know, you and I, we could rant about this, especially me. Especially there's something negative. It just has been frustrating because I've just been seeing the writing on the wall the last couple of years with the way things have been handled. Um, so sure, it's, it's a little frustrating as a fan and someone who has like had uh, a lot of part of like my life um, in in horse racing, and that was everything I did. So, um, but well, we have our first guest on the line, and there is a lot to talk about in the world of football. Mike, why don't you introduce him? Yeah, and you know, and he comes from an area where where they've actually got a racetrack that just had the uh, Tampa Derby, and by all accounts, uh, Tampa. Bay Downs doing really, really well. So How about maybe WrestleMania Greg has announcement some... in Tampa too. Tampa's like <laughs> the big part of the world right now. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, let's bring on Greg Almond from the Athletic. He's been a guest of ours before. He covers Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well as the NFL. Greg, good afternoon. How are you, my friend? Hey, Greg. Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. There's a lot to talk about here. And uh, before we really get going, I was talking to Gino about this off air before we got started. And it kind of seems to me like 
the NFL has always been a copycat league. And so you see kind of what the Rams have done. You have a nucleus, you know, your quarterback and your running back, young guys. Then you're able to bring in, you know, high profile, big name, big dollar free agents. And boom, we get to the Super Bowl. Now it seems like a lot of clubs are trying to emulate that and, you know, sort of like buy a championship, if you will. And my guess, my sense is that that's what's leading to a lot of this crazy movement that we've seen over the last, you know, 48 hours what are your thoughts on that, Greg? And, you know, what what are the factors that you're seeing in terms of this movement? Because we see some inconsistency, right? Are you rebuilding or are you building for a championship? And you've seen teams show us evidence of both. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, some of these teams have, I don't know, you know, $100 million to spend. And unfortunately, it's one of those where to spend that kind of money, you're not getting good value for the most part. Um, any of these purchases, if you will, any of these signings on the first 24, even 48 hours of free agency are just top dollar, top of the line, 100% cost. And, and it makes it tough. I mean, some of these guys, you know, Calais Campbell was one of those guys that actually worked out for the Jacks a couple of years ago. But so many of those guys, uh, two years later, they're back in free agents again. So there will absolutely be some success stories in this, but there's a crazy amount of feet spent. Uh, safety's making $13, $14 million. Linebackers making $13, $14 million. Um, a lot of big contracts, um, and it sets up a lot of high expectations. If you're trying to get your fans excited about the year ahead, it's a good way to do it. It's adding a Le'Veon Bell or trading for a D Ford and, and, and some of the other big names that have come out already. Uh, Detroit has signed like eight guys already, you know. Um, but it's tough. I mean, a lot of times these guys don't end up performing at the level they're being paid. Well, it's kind of funny because when you look at what Dave Gettleman's doing, uh, you know, with New York, just a few days ago, you lost, you, you know, you, you get rid of one of your more marquee name players in uh, OBJ. And then you're thinking, okay, it's interesting. We're going to hang on to Eli Manning, but we're going to rebuild. And then boom, today, what do they do? Sign Golden Tate. A slot receiver. They already have a slot receiver in Sterling Shepard. Like these moves, they're they're not consistent with it with a certain vision or game plan. It just, it's almost like 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 a moves to be poorly moves. run fantasy football team. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's one of those. I mean Tate. The whole thing with Tate today. I mean it's one of those where I think they just they they have to get better at receivers. So I just think it's he's one of the better guys left. I'm not sure who else I would think of as being the next best receiver available. Uh, so, yeah, is he a lot like Sterling Shepard? Probably, but they, they can play with both of them. They, they had so little at the position um, that I think you just had to go out and get somebody. you know. And if it meant paying $9 million a year to Golden Tate, uh, you kind of do that, I guess, at this point. Um, they're, they're better off the position now. And, I mean, it's you know much less than they were paying uh, Beckham, for sure. But, you know, they're taking such a hit. This is two years in a row they've taken a major hit cap-wise to get rid of what was a pretty productive player. Um, you know, last year they ate $15 million uh, to trade Jason Pierre-Paul, and this year it's more than that for Beckham. So it, it's, yeah, it's definitely a backwards way of doing things, but the Tate thing probably makes more sense than most of the moves they've made so far. Kind of honing in a little bit on Tampa now, um, what kind of coming into free agency and into the draft do you think are some of the holes they needed to fill, and how have you done? How do you think they've done so far in, in just a few days? Uh, pretty quiet. I mean, they they came in, you know, with the least cap room of any team in the NFL, and have kind of spent like that. So a couple of modest signings. They haven't given anybody more than four million dollars a year so far, um, and a lot of it. I mean, so so much of their priority, I guess, to start w- was just kind of keeping their own guys. 
Um, and they weren't even in a position to do all that because Quan Alexander's in San Francisco and Adam Humphrey's in Tennessee. Uh, but no, what, what they've done, they, they traded out punters, which is an exciting way to start your free agent. <laughs> uh, so Brian Anger is gone, and Bradley Pinion from the Niners is now in. Uh, two decent value signings, if you will, and it's usually you don't see value signings in the first day or two for agency. Uh, but they got Dayon Buchanan, who was with Arians in Arizona uh, as a, a linebacker, safety-type hybrid. And then they got the former first-round pick, uh, who was in Baltimore and was in Cleveland, um, and got Prashad Perriman. And I, I think, you know, he has mixed expectations, kind of did a pretty well in the second half of last year at Cleveland. Uh, but it's suddenly a $4 million receiver. That, that's where the position is, is where uh, a guy who had 16 catches last year is a bargain at $4 million. So those are the main guys they've added. Um, you know, three so far. They've, they've brought back some of their own players. I think they'll still add a running back. Uh, I think they'll add a cornerback. I think they'll probably get a guard at some point. But it's, it's kind of been bargain bin shopping here. If you're Bruce, Bruce Arians, when you first took over, what do you think was his – assessment moving forward uh, is this a team that is just a few guys away from being able to be you know a wild card team we saw the last year they're able to move the ball with ease they're able to score um at will in some games um that kind of uh w- there was a lot of inconsistency in a quarterback shuffle but do you think that he saw enough to say you know what we can do what a lot of these other teams have done which is build from here rather than rebuild um, especially at his age, or do you think he's coming in there and going to try to you know, free up salary cap space over the next year or two and build through the draft and um, you know, let the fan base know that this is going to take a little while? No, he, he wants to win now. I mean, you get a 66-year-old head coach and a GM in the final year of his contract. Uh, there, there's not much point in, in doing things long-term. So um, they're being careful about it. But no, I, I think he, he said at least, and in evaluating the roster, he, he inherits, he thinks they're fairly close. He doesn't think this will take uh, a huge, overwhelming overhaul to his roster. And, and to that extent, they really haven't had as many cuts. I mean, they traded away Deshaun Jackson. That's a big move. But they haven't made a lot of drastic moves so far. I mean, uh, the only guys they really cut, I mean, they cut their punter and replaced him. They cut Mitch Unrein, who never played for them because of the concussion. So there haven't been, I mean, sometimes you expect like these drastic, you know, scorched earth, everyone must go free up $50 million type off seasons. And they haven't done that. They, they've kind of been careful. And I, they're, they're basically gambling that by changing the coaching staff, they're going to be able to get much more out of the existing talent than the Nurk Cutter and his staff were in, in back-to-back 5-11 and 11 seasons. So that's, that's dangerous because if you don't see that improvement, it could be that the GM is out of a job, and then you wonder why they didn't do more to to change what you know were some issues on this team. But they'll still have the draft. They got the number five overall pick. Um, you know, I think they're going to have to be frugal, but they're going to have to make some more changes. There's still some holes in this lineup. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, Greg, can you uh, hang with us through the first commercial break here? Yeah, you're fine. Outstanding. We're talking to Greg Almond from the Athletic, covers the NFL and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Stay with us, and we will be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? (laughs) 
Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps on and off the field and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show with Greg Alman. The Athletic talking NFL, NFL free agency. Greg, I want to ask you about a specific team now. Um, we've seen the Browns after uh, a really nice finish to the season and now looking like they have their franchise QB. They've made some some big splashes with the OBJ moves, some moves on defense. And it's funny because now a team that had been kind of a laughing stock of the NFL for years is now a team that a lot of people are talking about as being a legitimate contender now. What are you uh, you thinking about the Browns and what they've done? Yeah, oh, it's it's remarkable. I mean, again, it's it's the model for long term tanking, if you will. I mean, a year ago, they're one in thirty one. You know, I mean, it, it's something where they hadn't taken Mayfield yet a year ago, um, and yeah, it's just a ton of momentum. I mean, obviously, they had a great amount of draft capital, so it starts with hitting on picks like Mayfield and Garrett and those types. And then they've, they've swung those picks to get some assets. Um, you know, I think they did very well uh, to catch the Giants in this awkward position with, with Beckham where I mean, you're, you're giving up good stuff. Don't get me wrong. You're giving up a mid-round, first-round pick, a three, and a talented young player uh, in Jabril Peppers. But you're getting a, a top-tier receiver. They're going to pay a little bit more for him. Uh, but to have added Landry and Beckham um, – you know, you think about Chubb being there. They have really a, a, a too many running backs now in their backfield. They're probably going to have to deal Duke Johnson away. So, no, they're very talented. They had, you know, great pass rusher in Olivia, Olivia Vernon. Um, it's exciting. I mean, when the Bucks played them last year, 
they were fortunate to get a win against Cleveland, and you had that feeling of them very much being on the rise. Um, you know, it's interesting here. You know, Bruce Arians had been mentioned as the guy for that Cleveland job. Came here before they decided, and getting Freddie Kitchens, who was his assistant, but. That's definitely, I mean, if you think about a team that's on the quickest ascent right now in the league, it's got to be them. I mean, here's a team that didn't have a winning record. They will be everybody's pick to be at least a wild card, if not more, in the AFC this year. Um, You know, you have an exciting young quarterback. You have that window where if you can win with a quarterback on his rookie deal, you have that much more money to spend on the supporting cast around him. Now they have a three-year window with Mayfield where he's going to be cheap, a lot of the talent around him is also on rookie deals right now. And it's exciting to think what they can do. I mean, they still have a first-year head coach. That's going to be a, a limiting factor in terms of what we know they can be. But it's exciting. It's probably, you know, if you think about the buzz teams of the summer, they will absolutely have that in the NFL. And moving on westward to Oakland, you know, right before the season started, we actually had one of your the athletic colleagues, uh, Vic Tafer, who covers the Oakland Raiders, yeah. on with us. Literally, uh, I believe like a day or two after the Khalil Mack trade went down. So the sentiment in Oakland was one of confusion, anger, frustration, especially after Khalil Mack went on to have a, a great first game and, and a really good, good first year uh, in with Chicago. Now that they've made this move um, this week, getting Brown, what what are your thoughts about what direction Gruden and company are going in and will that include Carr as the quarterback? Yeah, that's a big question. I mean, for here, you know, we have our eyes here in Tampa on everything with Oakland because it was the thought that Gruden might come here. Obviously, Gruden coached and won the championship here, so there's a lot of interest in how he does there in Oakland. Um, and that first year, it was kind of a, a punchline almost. I mean, they, they trade away not only Khalil Mack, but Amari Cooper. Um, John Gruden has always been the best drafting guy in the world, so... You don't know what it's going to be. And I think there's at least a little bit of momentum that's shifted now because they've been able to spend some money uh, to get a playmaker like Antonio Brown. Um, looks like a good deal. You get him for a three and a five. And, I mean, they're up there paying for him, don't get me wrong, but um, to think of the net transaction of giving away Amari Cooper and getting a one and getting Antonio Brown and only giving up a three and a five, that, that looks like a good sequence for them. Um, I think they've been very active in free agency, have spent a ton of money. Uh, some of that has made more sense than others, uh, but no. I mean, I think that's a team where I think the Bucks, you know, will go out there next year and play um, probably one of their first games in Vegas. I mean, in 2020, they'll be out there playing them. So you're curious about where that team will be. Like you said, Derek Carr is a big question mark. I mean, it's one of those where a year and a half ago we would have said there's no question he's the guy. You know, a hundred million dollar contract, um, all the momentum they had before he got hurt. And now, yeah, because it's Gruden, you don't know where his allegiances are. And, I mean, they're sitting there at four, and, I mean, they're a team that had 13 sacks for the season last year. I mean, so much fewer sacks than any other team in the NFL. You have to think that they should. The smart play is to take that four pick and and get one of these elite pass rushers, whether it's a Bosa or a Josh Allen or one of these guys that is the strength of this draft at the top. But until they do that, until that guy walks up to the table with a pick, you're going to wonder if they're going to take a quarterback or what they're going to do. So they're, they're a team that, you know, because of the Gruden factor, your curiosity is peaked on every move they make. Yeah, definitely there. You'd mentioned the, uh, before we went, before we went to our first break, you'd mentioned, uh, Tampa and the number five pick. Before we let you go, did, uh, you get a sense that they fell in love with anybody in particular in Indy? 
No. Um, I think that the, the guy that lines up the best for Tampa right now is the linebacker from LSU, Devin White, um, who looks the part, sounds the part, very high energy, uh, ridiculous measurables in terms of being 6'2", 240, running like a 4'4", 240, uh, prolific tackler. Um, they just lost Quan Alexander here, so they suddenly, one of their bigger holes is middle linebacker, especially as they change defenses with Todd Bowles here. So he's the guy that matches up the best for them. Five is a little high to be taking <laughs> to be taking a middle linebacker. Um, it's like, you know, Roquan Smith went eight last year. I think to find a linebacker that high, you go back to like Aaron Curry or something like that. But it, it does seem like the Bucks would be in a position where if they're sitting at five and only one of the quarterbacks has gone in the first four picks. I think there'd be a window where they can trade down. Um, if Denver wants to move up, um, you don't have to worry about Jacksonville anymore. Uh, but if Miami is going to move up from 13 and deal a whole big package of picks, you can see the Bucks drifting down a little bit in that first round where they can still potentially get a linebacker like Devin White at 8 or at 10 um, and not having to make such a drastic move to take a linebacker that high. He, he's the guy that matches up with their needs the best. But if they're sitting at five, two quarterbacks have gone in the top four picks, and a guy like Josh Allen falls to them, I think they're really smart to stay where they are and take him. Because I think if you're trying to run a 3-4, he's a great pass rusher that can really help them there as well. So they're still deep enough in the draft at five where they're, they're having to wait and see what happens ahead of them. But there's some exciting options for them for sure. That's good stuff, Greg. Hey, before I let you go, Blake Snell, a 15 15- thousand dollar raise did i did i read that right yeah they're your Cy Young really award smart winner? about how cheap they're going to be it's one of those Young award baseball, winner. <laughs> early on in your baseball career yeah that you don't have to give them more money but it'd be kind of nice just to throw the guy a bone just so there's a little bit better chance that a couple years down the road you might have some goodwill with him or he wants to stick around um, yeah we've seen this with david price we've seen this with lots of other really good pitchers uh, that are here, and then go make $30 million a year somewhere else. Alex Coblin made a bunch of money in Baltimore. So if you're a Rays fan, you're used to seeing great young pitchers become great and then leave. Um, it, it's hard to think of that with Blake Snell already. But, yeah, seeing, seeing them give him almost no raise where it's like, here's a dollar, thanks again for a 20-win season. Uh, that's, that's probably not the, the best optic for them to have with what is now their, easily their best asset. Yeah, you know, Gino's really big on a team over and unders, and it just seems like no matter what we see on paper, Tampa will find a way to get to that 90-win mark. So, anyways, good luck to them. And uh, definitely appreciate you uh, spending some time with us, Greg. Good luck, and uh, we'll maybe try to catch up with you after the draft. Definitely, guys. Thanks for having me on. Y'all have a good night. Awesome, Greg. Thank you. Good, Good stuff. stuff there. Yeah, I mean, he, we uh, covered a lot. Uh, of beat you, man. We said the same thing. We said yeah, the same thing. We're t- we're hanging out too much. We do two shows together now when we're both coming back with the same uh, same wordage. <laughs> but um, we covered a lot of the the, the, the big moves. Um, he's he's got a, a you know a, an encyclopedia of information, and uh, and because of that, his opinions are really sound. You so, know, yeah. Let's let's stick in this world a little bit right now before we finish. We'll finish off with Game of Thrones in, in our final segment. Um, what? Like, do you remember it being like this many big names moving like it this like short period of time in the last week? I mean, it feels like I was like writing down all the moves and I like forgot about Antonio Brown because <laughs> that was a few days ago. It already feels like <laughs> that was old news, you know, because like OBJ and then Le'Veon Bell happened since then. And then you talk about some of the defensive names, just like Suggs, 
Richardson, even like fantasy players like Funches, Nick Foles, KC made a couple big moves on the defensive end with uh, Wilson and Matthew, uh, Deshaun Jackson back to Philly, Don Cray Moncrief to Pitt, Tevin Coleman to San Fran, uh, Collins to Washington, Mark Ingram to Baltimore, Andrew Thomas, Frank Gore and and Beasley to Buffalo. Uh, we talk about Odell to the Browns, Thomas Davis to the Chargers, the Jets, you know, with Bell. They also got Jamison Crowder and CJ Mosley. Like there's a lot of movement going on, Mike. There's a lot of movement, but let me tell you something. A lot of a lot of the moves, especially as they relate to big names, don't for one second underestimate the ability of these teams to realize that they already got the best years out of those guys. Sure, sure, and get right. and get try to get and, their and fan bases are disappointed. All yeah. fan bases are disappointed all the time. They're like, I can't believe that the team got this guy and that guy and that didn't work out, or you that this guy didn't have the season. Well. Yeah, it's, there's kind of a reason why they, this team was was willing to move on with this guy when he's now 31, going to be 32 before the season starts. You know, and, and he may have one more thousand yard receiving year or two more perhaps, but he's on his decline mode, not his uptick. So to me, I, I think a lot of these moves, and I think that's why Greg's attitude was a little bit tempered when he was talking about you got to spend the $100 million, and a lot of it's poorly spent. Sure. And I couldn't agree with him any more because a lot of these moves are really to make a splash and get your, your fan base excited, but will they have meaning? It kind of reminds me of when Oakland, before even Gruden was there, they brought in Marshawn Lynch, and I have a buddy of mine who's a diehard Raider fan. And I was like, you're not expecting him to get – 1300 yards and and double digit touchdowns are you he's like beast mode why not i'm like dude we'd be lucky if we see 700 yards and like five or six tds yeah it just the the best year especially out of your your running back positions and so you know, like what do you think about like any of these moves do you have um like any strong feelings on one way or the other like in particular let's say some of the big ones or some of the ones that your team the raiders made which were a big one so brown bell like odell beckham um, even fools to the Jags. Which of these do you think are going to be impactful and maybe uh, one or two that you think you are going to be busts? You know, I think quietly, fools to the Jags might actually be a pretty decent move. Sure. Because remember, they were a few plays away from the Super Bowl um, before last year's implosion and, and injuries and the disaster that was Blake Bortles. To so be steady. Now you bring in a guy who's pretty consistent. He doesn't turn yeah. over the ball. You know, he's not a you know razzle-dazzle, high-flying, you know, 5,000-yard type quarterback, but he's a guy that doesn't make a lot of mistakes and he's clutch and he's got ice in his veins. So if they could kind of find their defensive form the way it was a couple years ago, I mean, I don't see any reason why they couldn't. Um, I agree. You know, and if Fournette can get his head on straight and stay healthy and stay on the field, this could be a pretty dangerous team quietly, you know, and even with Indy and Houston being, you know, pretty solid teams, they're still not at the top of, uh, you know, class level-wise with with maybe mm-hmm. the big four, big five. So I think a team like Jacksonville, who's always, by the way, stacked up really good against their division rivals and, and Tennessee as well. So I think that one is, is, is quietly going to be the move. Houston, you know, Houston lost a little bit too on defense. Uh, Matthew and Kareem Jackson, um, mm-hmm. both, you know, they, so like for a team that is a, a defensive team and they build themselves with a strong D a lot of, uh, a lot of the time, they, they have some losses. That's what's interesting too about, um, some of the good defenses, the Vikings lost Richardson, the Ravens lost Mosley and Suggs. So some of the, you know, you like just kind of what you're piggybacking your point, these defense, these teams that have had really good defenses and guys that have been like perennial good defensive players for a while, they're leaving. 
do they have their best years behind them or in front of them? We'll see, but I think it still will take a hit to these defenses. Like th- these teams will still probably miss them for a year or two. Maybe maybe it'll be a blessing in disguise in the long run, but it'll it's definitely shaking things up for the next year or two. Well, it's kind of funny because, you know, removed names, when you look at just production alone before he got hurt late in the year, um, statistically speaking, and in terms of, you know, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, I know they kind of went into the tank late in the year, but I mean, they didn't lose a lot of production from the running back position with no, Connor. No. Right. So I guess my question for you is now nah, you've been out Samuel of the game for, and, yeah. you know, by the time the season starts, he's going to be out of the game for a year and a half. You know, how, how many good years are the Jets really getting with Le'Veon Bell? Maybe you know, I think this first year, um, I do think the year off will help. You know, I think it'll. It, I think especially for a running back position, just a, a, a year less of hits. You know, I mean, they kind of said that about, uh, smart, about Marshawn too, though. He, oh you know? yeah, I don't know if it was, and I'm not saying that it was a smart move in what he did, but I do think it it may help him for a year or two, not be as, but you know, not be as you know, susceptible to injury. But sure. like you said, it could it could be a little while. He missed a full year. Is he going to be? How long does it take you to get back into it? Is already going to be three or four games before he's even kind of getting his legs back again. So there's definite mixed feelings. I just like the fact that some of these, um, the teams that seem like they may have found their franchise QBs, they really seem like they're going all in, like the Browns and the Jets. That's what I like to see. It's like, okay, some of these teams who, man, we found our guy, we have a quarterback that can sit back there and, and throw the ball and maybe like give us a shot to beat some teams. Let's fill in around them. Jets make some moves. Browns look like a solid team. So let's see now with a little bit of pressure on Baker and with Darnold, can they continue to make the next step? It's different when you're a team like last year, nobody's expecting really much out of either one of them. Now everyone's going to be watching you. You have pieces around you. If you're throwing, you know, tons of interceptions, if you're turning the ball over, you're the one that's going to be, you know, getting, getting razzed. You're the one that's going to be hearing it. So um, I'm looking forward to those two teams in particular, just kind of watching their seasons. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I agree with you. It'll, it will be definitely intriguing to see that. You know, the Kansas City Chiefs situation. Uh, I mean, excuse me, the Cleveland Browns situation. I was thinking Kansas City because they also brought in uh, Hunt, Hunt, right? Yeah. And uh, uh, th- that situation kind of reminds me a little bit of the Philadelphia Eagles uh, leading up to the 04 season when they made that big splashy move and got To. To is another one of those highly emotional, you know, uh, wide receiver types who's kind of a me first kind of guy, kind of like OBJ. And, um, I, I, you know, people ask me about OBJ. I'm like, you know, he's obviously a great talent. He's a world-class type athlete. You know, he can play soccer and do all these things to appeal on a global level. But when it comes down to it, Jerry Rice never went on, you know, party boats in Miami during a bye week or before a playoff game or anything like that. So I don't know how much his head is there. He's probably going to be bringing it hardcore in the first few weeks of the year. And well, I, I like the marriage with Landry. Yeah, buddies. I mean, I think so too. But and, you know, and they comp- when's last they time you saw a pair of each other? When's well, last time you saw a pair of college wide receiver teammates, you know, team up and and do well, really I, well? At some point in time, somebody wants the ball. They, oh yeah, but I, I don't know how many you've seen that were this good, where we would even really notice it, you know? Because these guys are both pretty big stars in the NFL. And uh, I think I'll nice play devil's that, advocate. You, you have two mediocre teams, really, in the Giants and the Dolphins, who gave up on both of those guys. And there has to be a reason for it. You don't give up great talents for no reason, right? You didn't see the Steelers giving away Juju. You saw them 
getting rid of Antonio well, yeah, Brown. They're pretty I mean, convinced they there, got the best there are, but like, out you of know, Yeah, and I'll like just to rebut that, there are many reasons why teams and players go their separate ways. True. As an agent, you know. So a lot of times it's just monetarily or what's better for our team's future moving forward or a team like the Dolphins may be thinking, you know what, we're not going to win necessarily right now. Let's try to stockpile some young talent. So, that you know, that happens. Ba- I, but they I, replaced him with uh, Danny Amendola. Yeah. No, right? no. With and, a veteran. Yeah. And, I guess my only point is. And just like a one-year stopgap, though, I think. You sure. Know, I think. But they got something back in the trade, right? Didn't they? Or did they just release him? I don't, I don't remember with Landry. Was he? Uh, did they trade? Was he traded to Cleveland? They they uh, they got rid of him for uh, a mid round pick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They traded him. Uh, the 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 only the just the one point that I'll make is it's kind of a consistent. What's the word I'm trying to think of? Development with wide receiver position in yeah. particular. Yep. You'll see the development oftentimes. You know, and they'll blame I'm not winning or this or that. I mean, once again, there was a reason that Terrell Owens, he's a Hall of Famer. He, he played on, what, five teams? You know what I mean? There's a reason for that. And usually it results in implosion. Yeah. Could oh, Cleveland drama. win in year one? Sure. You know, um, but could the whole thing implode in a big, big way? Yeah. When- Especially because you have a rookie head coach in kitchens. That, that's the key. The, the pieces and what we're getting ready for a break. We'll take it right now. And just to compare it, like we see it in all sports when things go wrong and happen with the Lakers right now. Is there going to be a leader, someone there if something goes wrong, if somebody gets hurt, if you lose a couple close games, a bad, you know, bad bounce here or there? Can someone rally the troops? I don't know exactly. yet. That's the key with them. Can Baker do that? I don't know. Is he there yet? Maybe he's that kind of guy and we'll find out soon. Yep. Well said. Let's take a commercial break, G, and we'll come back and talk some Game of Thrones. Stay with us. We will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel do you love sports talk can't get enough sports talk have we got a show for you it's about the nfl training camps super bowl previews a look at the new starting quarterbacks and weekly key injuries we'll take your calls and emails right on the air former philadelphia eagle james loving is your host and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Oh, let's start getting right into our Game of Thrones discussion, Mike. We're about six weeks out from the season the final season of game of thrones and the season premiere of the final season of game of thrones it, let's say in in entertainment now and just in like in content and in media television shows and movies there are so many things out there and there's so many things on demand that there are few things that like sweep you like old TV shows used to. Everybody used to tune in at the same time to watch, you know, a Seinfeld or a friend and just, you know, through the years. And now there's so much stuff out there. Very rarely is everyone sitting down on a Sunday watching the same show like live or pretty quickly after and then talking about it right away. And I think Game of Thrones is like one of the last shows and one of the, the biggest shows I can remember that's like still like that. Yeah, you know, people were have been screaming and yelling, trying to see get a glimpse of the show, give us a trailer, give us something. And when they finally released it, a, a two-minute clip uh, a week ago or however long that was, it set a record for how many times it was viewed in a 24-hour period, a 48-hour period. I think it broke every imaginable record. People love it, man. You see... I mean, horses named Game of Thrones. You know, I saw the Iron Bank running in Charlestown the other day. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You, you see other names as well. So many names. Um, you see it in all in other shows. In shows now, it, like new shows that come out, they're making reference to Cersei or Arya yep, or Jon yep, Snow yep. or the characters the way, in Game of Thrones. And- go- Google. And for anybody out there who are who is a Game of Thrones diehard, Google Seth Meyers doing um, having Jon Snow over for dinner. And having the red woman over for a baby shower, <laughs> you will. You, um, I guarantee you, you'll laugh your butt off if you watch both of those things, especially the Jon Snow for dinner one. It's classic. Okay, well let's but start, let's get to it, man. Yeah, let's start right there. You were talking about the red woman today. We're going to talk about some of like the key events and maybe just overall thoughts uh, on the show and religion and the realm, and we'll kind of set the tone for the next month or so of the little segments like this that we'll have each week and for me the red woman is just like a really pivotal character especially this week's topic because she has so much to deal with religion and events that are happening she is an old woman who's disguised herself as like the beautiful red woman she can bring people back from the dead which we we see from Jon Snow she plays a pivotal part in one of the like the most horrible scenes in the the show when she kills Stannis's daughter she's a part of the shadow that kills Renly Baratheon when it's coming to religion and events I mean the red woman is right up there with one of the most pivotal characters in the show yeah, she's one of the MVPs for sure in terms of uh, pivotalness. Uh, you know, clearly the Lord of Light, the Red God, I think is is if you were to rank the importance of the religions in terms of its impact on the realm, uh, I would have to rank it number one, right? And then you have the old and the new, the faith of the seven, which would probably be number two. Yeah. Um, and then you have some secondary stuff like the drowned God, uh, the many-faced God, the great stallion, of course, which may end up coming back again uh, if if Khal Drago is uh, 
raised from the dead or comes back from the dead uh, based on the uh, the prophecy or whatnot. And so even, we'll see about that. Even not quite religious, but in the in the magical sense, you know, we have the the three eyed raven and Bronx, sure, you know, sure. and his ability to kind of like travel through time, change things, um, uh, you know, impact people and and everything that's happening. So. Um, yeah, the 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 high sparrow. I'm glad you mentioned that one with the faith militant radicals because though th- that was like a part of the show too. Where it's like they had what in, what they call in wrestling like go away heat, where it was like I- I'm not even like booing them because they're bad guys. I just wanted them to get off my TV when they yeah. came on. I was just like bothered by them, like the segment, I and I was honestly I was glad to see seriously just blow them up. Honestly, and that was as you mentioned a huge big part of a religion in the show because them causing Cersei to do that her, her kids another loses another one of her kids like that them their like rebirth as the faith militant radicals had a chain reaction a massive chain oh reaction. yeah that probably had to be the the biggest regret of Cersei throughout the series is to empower those guys because like you said um they humiliated her um, it didn't have the desired impact, a lot of unintended consequences, and ultimately it led to her uh, son's suicide. And on that note, by the way, I may have found the only glitch that I've been able to come up with, and I haven't heard anybody else talk about it. So and it kind of relates to this kind of a mysticism, religion, witchcraft, that type of thing. Remember when they took us back, I believe it was in season three, Cersei as a young girl, she uh, encounters a witch or a soothsayer yeah. in her shack. Yep. And the soothsayer tells her that she's going to lose, lose three of her kids. That prophecy stuck with Cersei throughout her adult life. And sure enough, from Joffrey's uh, poisoning to uh, to the suicide, which we just mentioned, to her daughter's poisoning, that's three. But here's the glitch. And I don't know if this is an error. I'd love to ask George R. R. Martin about this. She actually lost a fourth child. If you go back and watch season one, as she's consoling, uh, she mentions, uh, yeah, which is consoling uh, uh, after uh, Bran was injured and paralyzed, right? She said that she had lost a child. I don't remember if it was during childbirth or a very young child. That was a fourth one. So she actually lost four. She's pregnant now too. And she's pregnant. Well, she, yeah, she's pregnant now as well. So who knows? So maybe, who knows what's going to happen? But up there, until yeah. that time, she. Because she brought up in season seven that she'd lost three and the prophecy to Jamie. She's like, I knew this was going to happen, but she didn't say I lost four. So I'm kind of wondering, did they forget about that or what? Anyways, not of terrible importance, but who knows? They may circle back up on that issue and let us know why they didn't. Because it seems like anytime they let us think that they forgot about something, they come back and show us that they didn't, you know? No, they do a great job of like dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. They really do. And, um, you know, some of the other key events, I, you can, right away you find out, like, w- right off the bat, Bran's pushed out the window. You know, one of the main characters is pushed out the window, and you see who Jamie Lannister and Cersei yes. are immediately. Like, wow, right off the bat. And then you're you're watching the first season, and you think this show is all, is all about, like, Ned Stark. He's the main character. <laughs> you know, like, he's the main character in the show, and then he's gone. Yeah, I, I, season I, I, one was the table setter, though, right? Yeah. Uh, like you said, I mean, w- when I tried to break this down, and this really could be like a two-hour conversation, and, and to me, I, I would find every second of it riveting because it's just so interesting to me, but the biggest things may have happened pre-series, right? Sure. When uh, Rhaegar Targaryen gets with Lyanna Stark. 
right? Ned's sister, which is Robert Baratheon's love. The other big one was the Kingslayer, Jamie killing the Mad King. Those happen pre-series. But once the series starts, like you said, it starts off with Bran getting pushed. There's a ripple effect from that. Robert Baratheon's boring and whoring, which ultimately led to his death. But Ned's investigating, right? The blonde hair of Joffrey didn't match yep. the historical records. Mentioning this to Cersei, obviously that drove her crazy because that meant that Joffrey isn't the king and she'd lose any power that she had, which led to Ned's beheading. And boom, like you said, Ned's gone. But the ripple effect of all of this stuff lasted forever. The other thing that's a little bit underrated from, underrated from season one also is Jon Snow getting denied as a ranger. And I think that really led to his character build up to make him who he ended up becoming. Right. Yeah. So to me, that was a really, really big one. And let's not also forget another thing from season one, finding the wolf litter. And I think that the wolves have played an important role and they'll that continue rules, yeah. to, to, to play an important role as well. We've, we've just even barely scratched the surface in talking about season one. Yeah, I know I you mean, want to jump in here. Well, in other, like a couple yeah, minutes. Other, other, other events that I think have to be mentioned, the red wedding, obviously, and then Joffrey's wedding where, you know, he like so much death, like just WTF episodes where you're like, wow, just did not see that coming. Uh, Mentioned already Stannis burning his daughter alive and then he's dying right afterwards. Jon Snow coming back from the dead um, and the Sept of Baelor and then a couple of the battles we'll mention when we actually specifically get into the battles like the Battle of Blackwater and the Battle of Bastards and then recently um, Viserion killed by the Night King and now coming back you know, as a white walker dragon, you know, as a, sure. as a member of the, uh, the, the dead. So, and that leads us to another wedding, by the way. And if you were to ask me, what is the single most important event in the whole show? Daenerys's wedding. She got this gift. Nobody knew what the heck it meant. Yep. But it sure ended up meaning a lot. But in those, the fire, those dragon eggs, yep. right. And those dragon eggs end up empowering her to the highest level, basically, um, but really, the the two versus one now, like you mentioned, um, after the dragon was raised from the dead, the two versus one, that's going to obviously play a huge, huge role in season eight. I'm very excited to see what happens. I also want to quickly mention Jon Snow getting lost and befriending the wildlings, sure. forging that Egret. important relationship was very big. And then his best friend, Samuel Tarly, befriending a wildling, Gilly, ultimately led him to him. And discovering the use of dragon glass, which we're also going to see is going to be a playing huge a big part. Yeah, yeah. We're just scratching the surface right now. With this is the first of our Game of Thrones segments that we'll be bringing you for the next five weeks. So uh, we'd love to hear back from you. Feedback. You agree with us? Disagree? What things are we missing? Uh, anything at all? We'd love to hear back from you. Thanks again for listening. And next week, it's going to be Rulers, the Good and the Bad. We'll talk March Madness. We'll continue on with the NFL. Lots going on in the sports world, Mikey. Yeah, should be a great show next week. Stay with us uh, for that episode and beyond because we got a lot of good stuff coming up. Game of Thrones and MLB opening day. See you next week. Same time, same place, everyone. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.